Hello, welcome to the High Hops Podcast with your host, Bradley White. With me, as always... Me. <laughs> Big Guru Phoebe Ward. Yeah, we can't... This episode... I am certainly not. Why? Who, who have we got on this episode, Phoebe? Excitingly, is that a word? We've got... My name's Johnny. I'm the co-founder of the Craft Beer channel on YouTube, which, uh, depending on your metrics, is the biggest beer and food channel in the world. And I'm also a, a freelance writer uh, for Good Beer Hunting, for Ment, The Independent, and whoever else will take my words. For those that don't know the Craft Beer channel, Johnny and Brad set it up in 2013 as a YouTube channel i guess (laughs) and uh they started off reviewing beers very similar to us um but actually they've changed a lot of that kind of content over the years so we start talking to them a little bit about moving away from hype beers and how they did that why they did that why they're producing the kind of content they do now before moving a little bit more into the the state of the industry his perspective on things over the last few years and it's definitely very interesting talking to someone who's a lot more connected than we are and yeah. living in London has a lot more access to, uh, yeah. is, is, is a lot more aware of what's happening currently at the moment. I think uh, Johnny's story is really interesting about how he got into it and he's been there for a while so I think he's got quite a few interesting things to say mm. and uh, it was very open which was lovely and yeah. Uh, yeah. As always I've got timestamps uh, throughout the video so if there's something that you think might pipe your interest have a look through. So this was our chat with Johnny that took place a few weeks ago. We know that you started the Craft Beer channel back in 2013, is that right? Correct, yep. At the time, what was the the landscape like back then when it came to YouTubers, podcasting, when it came to when it came to beer? Uh, why was it you guys decided this was something we were going to we were going to do? There's kind of two answers. One is yeah, looking at the landscape as it was back then and the other one is is pure opportunism um so back then there were lots of great bloggers um lots of great uh well a couple of good podcasts over from america uh, i think the, the first sort of beer focused podcast was the beer o'clock show and i think they founded just after us um so there wasn't really any british podcasting but there was lots of writing uh, and brad and i were working for jamie oliver at the time um in his creative team um and he founded YouTube. Uh, sorry, didn't, didn't find it, found YouTube. He's not that rich. Blimey, you guys are bigger than we thought. <laughs> uh, he he founded FoodTube in 2013. Um, right. So his his foodie YouTube channel. Um, and I was uh, both of us were helping with that launch. Me from from a I worked on the website and Brad was in design, so he branded it. Um, and we kind of saw that there was no good beer content on YouTube. Suddenly, uh, Jamie's office was full of producers, camera equipment, editing software. Um, so we thought we'd make some beer content um, using all the amazing equipment that was lying around. <laughs> was, was he aware uh, of the, uh, what you guys were up to? Probably not initially. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, we, we started using the equipment, started messing around uh, and actually told him that we were making this content and he was he was intrigued because he is a beer lover um i think i think uh the colonel featured in one of his tv shows like a couple of years beforehand right uh, and camden have featured in quite a lot of what he's done yeah um so he was quite excited about it and he let us do a christmas beer video that christmas christmas 2013 on his channel cool um that got like a hundred thousand views and pushed a load of subscribers to us and that's kind of 
how it snowballed. That's handy. Yeah. Very handy. <laughs> I, I noticed your one of your first videos was with uh, Camden, wasn't it? Yeah, one of the first videos we ever did was with Camden and with Mark Dredge, who was working for Camden at the time. Um, and it's a, it's a terrible video. We tried to go through the process of how beer uh, was made. Uh, it was probably the first time I presented, but not been like the focus. Like mm -hmm. people often say to me, like, I'm amazed that at the confidence it takes to just stare down the barrel and talk for 10 minutes. But actually, I find that significantly easier than, or did find it significantly easier than asking questions. Because mm. suddenly, you're really aware of what you're doing with your body, with your eyes, with your face, while someone else is talking. Mm -hmm. There's mm. a great moment in 30 Rock where Jack is, um, he's, he can't work out what to do with his hands while he's being filmed for a, a training video. And he ends up just carrying two mugs around. Yeah, And that's kind of... <laughs> How I felt, I was like, oh, what do I do with these two things on the end of my arms? Um, so I hate watching that video. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd be worried about because we, we're kind of toying with the idea of doing video content. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's the safety of uh, the podcast safety. I don't have a camera yeah. pointed at me. So, but I don't know, we're, we're, we're thinking about it. People can't see your face when you're, when you're yeah, you must, I, the amount of videos I've, I've done with clients and you go back and look at someone, you're like, what are you doing? What, like, why are you... <laughs> what are you doing with your face? Yeah, it's like it's just, you don't realise it until you're looking at the footage afterwards. Yeah. It's like, oh no, we're gonna have to edit around. Well, this. When I lived in London, one of my hobbies was like just going to live TV recordings, and occasionally they'd like interview an audience member. Every single time was just it was so bad, and it got to a point where uh, I'd done a couple, and it was the same producer, and she was just like. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> I was like, oh no. I noticed the sort of looking through your videos and like what you guys were doing when you first started. You kind of we we started by doing sort of uh, beer reviews and we're still doing that. You guys started that. Uh, was it Top of the Hops? Was that an early thing you guys had on the channel? And I noticed as it's grown, you guys have moved away from sort of reviewing single beers and it's more about hey, here's the style, here's a subject that you're um finding it did you notice that change have you is it something that sort of you were like we're going to stop doing this and we're going to move on to this or is it something that just kind of naturally happened once you found what your audience liked well it was kind of both it was it was a very clear and conscious decision to move away from beer reviews um we originally went onto youtube a because that opportunism but b because most of the content in the UK around beer that wasn't blogging was video and it was all beer reviews. And I thought that some of the people that were on there maybe didn't have the knowledge or the persona or the editing skills to make that content particularly compelling. Mm. So initially we thought, well, we'll go on, we'll do some beer and cooking, we'll do some tours, we'll get outside of like your bedroom or your, or your kitchen, but we'll also do the reviews in a really compelling format. Mm -hmm. um, I define that as a swing and a miss from us. Uh, it was not that compelling. Um, there's there's huge issues I have with beer reviewing. Like, I mean, lots of people hate untapped and, and, and rate beer, and I think that's fine. Like, mm. it has its issues, and mm. and it, you know, it, it increases in sensationalism, misinformation, those kind of things. But you can you can combat those. Um, but the issue with reviewing as an a like proper editorial is most of your audience won't be able to ever try that beer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's only got more true, um, you know, as core beers became less trendy and uh, everyone was producing a new beer every week. So we moved away from that because it wasn't getting the views. It wasn't getting the interaction. We got a lot of people saying like, 
hey, that's cool. What would you recommend for me in Australia? And you're like, I've never been to Australia. Yeah. So can't help you there, buddy. Uh, Coopers? Um, so, yeah, we moved away from that and started trying to make content. Every single video we make now, and this has taken a couple of years to come up with, our two, our editorial strategy with every single video is, does this ask or answer a question? And is the theme relevant to anyone who watches whether they can drink the beer or not? Yeah. And if a video doesn't meet either of those two tests. Oh, and the third one is, is it fun? Um, yeah. If it doesn't meet any of those three, we don't make the video. I, I noticed you guys found, I don't think it's changed. Your style, your kind of, your your brand of humor, that kind of quirky element. I think it seems like it was there very early on. Like the, the video where you guys are taking in beers into a restaurant uh, to pair them with food. Like you're sort of you're you're kind of out the gate coming out with those kind of videos, and I think even even now that that still carries through. Was it was there a sort of an awareness when you were putting that into your videos, or was it more just kind of like everyone else is taking this very seriously, and we want to have a bit of fun with this with this whole concept? Yeah, we definitely wanted to have fun with it. We do believe that like beer is a uh, a entirely silly, unimportant. Uh, on one level, entirely unimportant facet of human society. Mm. Um, and for any, anyone who takes it too seriously is is going to end up missing the point. Yeah. Um, but equally, you know, it was one of the first things we ever invented. It was the reason that we uh, started doing engineering projects. It was the reason perhaps that nomads settled uh, so they could grow grain for, for bread and for beer. So it's also one of the most important things that humans have ever done um so we wanted to you know give that context be accurate be correct but at the same time never take it too seriously and even um like we've done some quite serious content like our documentary which we we, we did last year so mm. 85 minutes of really drilling down uh, into an area um we were very conscious we needed funny elements of that so that's that's not why we ended up in a karaoke bar, but it's why we filmed us in a karaoke bar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think um, looking at like your the playlists on your channel, um, one thing I've really enjoyed and learned a lot of knowledge from is your beer school. Because, um, yeah, like at the end of the day, it's that's what the information is there for everybody and uh, anyone can will, will be able to brew with, you know, knowing about yeast and things like that. So, yeah, I think I think that's kind of like an awesome thing that you do on there. Uh, what else have we got? We've got yeah. uh, beer talk as well, um, which is kind of a little bit more of a... Well, how would you describe beer talk? Because I've got, obviously, you've got the, the sofa one as well, where you sit down and you kind of chat from your sofa. So how would you describe beer talk? We, we've actually been been talking about that because we're trying to work out how to separate out separate out beer talk because we have all these playlists so we have beer school where the whole idea is we get serious for a bit because we sort of believe that the more you know about beer the more you can shut the fuck up and enjoy it mm -hmm. um so that's an important element but then everything else is quite fun so the beer and food the travel the beer logs beer talk is where everything else goes at the mm -hmm. moment so like we're trying to work out what beer talk really is we've got those sofa sessions but we do these other things that occasionally sneak in there but mm. the the idea behind beer talk is is the social element so there's never an episode of beer talk where it's or it's not supposed to be where it's just me or brad talking at a camera mm. unfortunately that's changed a little bit because of, of coronavirus yeah. um but up until that happened it was supposed to be only ever at least two people on screen talking mm -hmm. um 
which is the exact opposite of all these reviews on YouTube where yeah. it's one guy monologuing at you. Yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah, no, there's, there's literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of uh, those kinds of videos. So, no, it's good I to think, stand I think out. It might be a good segue to go into kind of on YouTube, like kind of going through it. It is, it is almost just the craft beer channel at the moment and all the interesting things you guys are doing. And every other everyone else it's either kind of youtube channels that maybe are just teaching about how to homebrew and it's then the single review Mm. people talking about their thoughts on individual beers that week and with food there's so much variety in so many different channels doing things and we don't really have that yet for beer like the closest i can think of is obviously you you have an involvement with good beer hunting but good beer hunting don't currently have a like a video presence um do you have any sort of understanding of why that is? Like, why do you think currently beer is doesn't really have that diversity in the way that other hobbies and especially its you know biggest comparison food has? I think there's two things. Uh, one is that uh, producing video is incredibly expensive and time consuming. Mm. Um, and I know that you know you look at Simon of Real Ale Guide, um, who's the oldest uh, of the the beer reviewers on YouTube. He releases two videos a day. Wow. <laughs> um, if, if he wanted to edit those, his, oh, his whole concept would fall apart. Yeah. So yeah. he just films, uploads, films, uploads. Mm. Um, and he's tried to do some documentaries, uh, tried to do some proper features there. Um, and I think he's just realized that it's, it's such an insane amount of work that you then get into my second point, which is... Um, while it's really expensive, really time consuming, you can't make any money from it. You just mm-hmm. can't. Yeah. Um, beer hasn't professionalized to the point where there's breweries that are really looking for deep, involved, interesting video content. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's deeply frustrating from my point of view because, uh, you know, we've spent six years doing exactly that. Yeah. Um, kind of in the hope that it would start to pay the bills. Mm. Um, and, uh, beer just hasn't cottoned on to the power of video. Like when I compare my statistics, both in terms of views and in terms of dwell time and in terms of impressions, mm-hmm. they they piss all over all beer websites. Like we our, our average viewer time is over seven and a half minutes. I'm not sure there's a written website in the world that can claim that. Yeah. And we're not even the most watched uh, by a long way YouTube channel uh on youtube mm-hmm. um and so i think that people haven't quite cottoned on to that so it means that it's very hard to produce professional beer content because you can't make money from it and i've seen probably 10 15 beer channels come and each time i've been like awesome mm-hmm. somebody else is coming along to do something like we do yeah like there was there was beer, beer stories was the best example because they made about 10 15 videos that were um I described them as a bit naive, but uh, interesting, beautifully produced, much more beautiful than ours. Like they had drones, uh, clearly <laughs> shooting on some serious cannon cannon kit. Um, but if you're going to do all of that, mm. you're going to have to get advertising revenue of several thousand, which means you're going to have to get reviews of uh, uh, views of several million. Yeah. Um, w- which just isn't possible. So we found this happy medium where we have some good kit. We've learned a lot about editing, about narrative, uh, and a fuck ton about beer. Um, 
and just try to keep overheads as low as possible. Most of our editorial content when it comes to travel is based on what plane tickets were cheapest. Yeah. Um, we, we came up with five documentaries we wanted to make. Um, one is based in London. So we're like, well, we want to travel and do one somewhere else first. And then choosing between the other four was which is the cheapest plane ticket right now. And it was Boston. So we're like, sweet. Yeah. New England it is. Mm. Um, so yeah, we've sort of stayed and we haven't chased views. We haven't done trashy content, like viral content to try and grow. Cause we're like, I'd rather have 80,000, hundred thousand subs and find a way to monetize deep rather than go yeah. for YouTube revenue. Cause we earn 100, $150 a month, probably from mm. YouTube advertising revenue a month. Right. Okay. Um, which is just, that barely pays for the beer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and oh, you, yeah. No, we can relate yeah, exactly. to that. <laughs> it's <are> so expensive. <laughs> I think when we yeah we started the podcast, like it was, it was we were gonna like we were like we started and went we're gonna do it once a week and then after a while we're like this is this is really expensive. Yeah, it is. Let's yeah. go down to every other week and then it, we actually found we missed it so we ended we managed to we you know we made it work. Uh, we got to drink more beer for a living. Oh, oh no, what a no. shame. Uh, but do you guys <laughs> do all your uh, video work yourselves then? To, so that that uh, editorial uh, so that that cost is kept down as low as possible yeah so i don't think we've ever paid a freelancer mm -hmm. for anything brad's a graphic designer so he's always done all of the, the graphic design and animation yeah um we both are handy with a camera uh, brad was a professional photographer he was also a vj but um we won't <laughs> talk about that um <laughs> and uh yeah so we're both handy with the camera so we shoot everything ourselves and i taught myself to edit video yeah um Turns out I didn't teach myself quite well enough because when we did the documentary, like that was a five month edit, mm. which was yeah, horrific. And I wish I'd, I'd, I'd learned a lot then, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we've had to do everything ourselves to make sure that it didn't cost us money. Yeah. And it still costs us money for the first like probably three years. Um, mm -hmm. But luckily, we weren't doing anything too ambitious. And it was a lifestyle yeah. rather than a job. Uh, and when I took it full time two years ago, that that had to shift. So we launched the Patreon um, to try and, and and make sure it never cost us anything. Has there been a point with the channel then? So you talk about the, the difficulties of it, that it has felt like, not obviously you, want, you don't want to be like, we almost gave up at some a certain point, but has, had, you know, was there a point where you were like, is this going to work? And how you know what was the thing that made you go actually no this is definitely what i want to keep i want to keep going with this and i want to keep doing this yeah i mean it, it basically got to the point where it was costing us money mm -hmm. and it had and this is a point where a lot of people give up on youtube and it's it's written about and talked about in sort of the youtube um they call them creator communities like it's burnout mm -hmm. where you've been going at it for a certain amount of time and you still can't make it your job and you give up um or you just sort of run out of energy and, and you stop um and the guy who was the biggest uh, beer tuber um uh god so it's a sign of times because i've forgotten what his channel was called uh he's an american guy uh chris something uh i can't remember mm -hmm. and yeah he, he got burnout. out he couldn't make any money from it he started doing reviews and the reviews got so much uh, reviews of products and the reviews got right. so much hate i think he was like nah like if this is what monetization means, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, and I, I was in a similar spot about um, probably four years ago. Um, I was working full time in beer and loving it, um, but it was getting in the way of my day job. Brad had just lost his job. 
um, uh, Jamie Oliver and wasn't uh, like didn't have the time to to dedicate to it. He was like, I need to find actual money. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say we got pretty close to throwing in the towel. And the only thing that sort of kept us going was the fact that it was a connection for me and Brad. Like at that point, you know, we were pretty much best friends, and it was something we loved doing together. So we kept it going. And I think by losing a little bit of focus, because we were doing two videos a week at that point, and we went down to one video and said, we'll just, we'll just keep it going because we're enjoying doing it. Mm-hmm. And doing that and really dialing in our content, because we only had one video a week, got, sort of changed it. Um, and things started improving, like monetization-wise. And um, it came to a point where I sat down with my, my partner, endlessly patient partner, Heather, um, <laughs> And she, we we had a chat where I was like, it's kind of all or nothing at this point. Like, yeah. I, I really enjoy my job, but it's never going to grow beyond this point unless I go full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both decided it was it was worth a go, like give it a year or two, um, which is kind of where we are now. Like, yeah. we still can't monetize it fully. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had lots of awesome uh sort of uh brand deals in place for this year with some great breweries who wanted to do cool content mm-hmm. um and would pay as well for it um and 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 then coronavirus happened so that's yeah. all on hold at the moment but we'll see none of uh well one of them's been cancelled one of them could still happen so yeah we uh we had some cool people maybe coming on and then yeah all this happened and we kind of lost connection yeah um yeah i was gonna say with uh with youtube it's it's kind of it's it's gone through different waves um obviously i think it, early days you had all like the vloggers they were making so much money and that's all you ever heard was that these youtubers that were literally just documenting their day-to-day life were making millions and there's still people out there that are doing it um do you like i could ob- obviously that would cause frustration because you're actually putting content out there you're you know, there's topics, there's interest. Mm. Um, do you think the fact that it's about beer and it's about alcohol um, makes people like nervous to monetize you? Or do you think that's an issue? Yeah, 100%. I mean, first I'd say I don't begrudge any of these bloggers, to be honest. Like some of them are fucking morons. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I can't lie. I do watch. They, they have found. <laughs> yeah, like they uh, I, I actually ended up on the radio um about a year ago, uh, is it LBC or one of those like controversial yeah. kind of chat shows where I ended up defending, like they found out they'd seen a tweet. They'd started a debate about influencers and um, I'd done a tweet saying, just leave these people alone. Uh, and they clearly looked me up, looked at what I did and was like, hey, well, this is this guy's like, he's not an influencer, but he's got a, a big audience on YouTube. We should chat to him. Yeah. And I ended up arguing with like Nick Ferrari or somebody. I can't remember who it was um, saying like these people, you know, we need to think about them as like um, like boy bands or comedians. Like they're people who you might not find funny or entertaining or tuneful, mm. but there's a million people who do yeah and for us to begrudge them that you know they haven't been famous their whole lives Mm-mm. they've they've spent like i have six years putting out videos to a couple of hundred people mm-hmm. uh and it's so yeah it's that whole cliche about overnight success as an influencer mm-hmm. like that's not a thing that doesn't fucking happen what happens is you try for six years and eventually it happens so i don't begrudge them at all mm-hmm. what i do begrudge is exactly what you asked which is how advertising revenue um works on youtube so so supposedly and i've had these conversations with people at youtube 
uh, they're supposed to champion long form involved editorial content that um, you know answers questions, gets interactions, all this kind of stuff. And and I will take that you know as read and go right. Well, I will produce that kind of content. Yeah. Luckily, it's what I want to make anyway. And then you see that because it's alcohol, because it's beer, either people are yeah nervous about advertising on it, or it just doesn't fit their um, their target audience. I mean, I've got to be honest, we made a mistake by choosing YouTube as a platform to some extent because the YouTube audience are not 25 to 55 year old males. Yeah. Um, so why that, that makes no sense from a business point of view, but it does mean that our, um, our, our CPM, which is how much money you make per thousand clicks mm. um, or thousand views, sorry, is lower than most people. Yeah. Because we're getting fewer people bidding on our videos to be advertised on there. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot we can do about that and it's fine. Um, but it's frustrating that the, the YouTube algorithm is for some reason, I say for some reason, <laughs> I know the reason, um, it's punishing us even though we're doing everything that YouTube's asked and yeah. you go onto all these channels. The best way to make money on YouTube is to make videos about how to make money on YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. which is what we should have done and if you watch these videos they go yeah like make individual entertaining content don't just sit in your room find your niche and then find the niche within that niche and you're like yep 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 yeah and you still, still don't make millions um and and it's because in my opinion it's because we don't fit the youtube um the youtube demographic yeah. so youtube would never promote our content because they're not going to make much money from it yeah, it's uh, like like I say. I feel like there was a, there was a point where things changed with advertising on and things on YouTube monetization. I've because uh, there's YouTubers I've watched for years, and now they just make no money and they get flagged for the smallest little things. And um, was that always the was has it always been the case for you with monetization, or was there like a point where it just kind of switched? Oh, it's become a huge thing very recently. Mm. Um, there always used to be like red flags. Mostly it was based on reporting. So somebody would flag it as inappropriate content. Um, but, and, and rightly, because there's lots of horrible, horrible content on YouTube that needs to be deleted and mm. YouTube still aren't doing a good enough job. Um, so that, that flagging system needed to come in. Unfortunately, when you've got... Um, every day something like a year's worth of content is uploaded onto youtube <laughs> so dealing with all of that is mm. incredibly difficult and it mm. means that lots of people get hurt by it we got demonetized on quite a lot of videos um for a little phase while they were still working out how that was going to work um and luckily there's a little button you click going i want a human review yeah um and you get i think three i think there was like a hit system so if you asked for three human reviews and still got refused three times like you lost the privilege or something but we every single time they just went watch that video and went yes yeah, fine sorry yeah um <laughs> but like i mean the really big thing was when they stopped monetizing videos with kids in mm. um which you know in 2018 the biggest earner was an eight-year-old kid yeah. yeah he was earning several million a year and then the next year he was earning nothing mm -hmm. um and, you know, I mean, there's so many interesting debates to be had around like child slavery, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and people did try to, to claim that it was slavery, um, even though he was just opening toys. But it, it's a debate. Um, but, you know, they based their whole family business on that. And yeah. now they can't. So that's that's brutal. Um, luckily, 
there I mean in the UK there's quite a big temperance movement right there are lots of people and we get lots of trolls on our YouTube channel who are clearly from these these um these these think tanks that are not actual think tanks um they they are founded by well-known temperance movement people who want to uh well get alcohol banned they want plain packaging at the very least um and thankfully because youtube's an american company they don't have such temperance movement so we're safe but we are genuinely worried that at some point they might go we're going to demonetize alcohol content do you have a place that you think you could go or that you should have gone so you were saying you really shouldn't have gone to youtube is there somewhere you think that exists that you guys would be better for you guys or does that just currently not is that just it, there isn't a place for that kind of content at the moment no there's not um and even if there was sort of a place, well, I mean, you know, there's Vimeo. We could go onto Vimeo and put that content up there and it would look more beautiful because the way they <laughs> deal with the actual digital files is so much nicer. Yeah. Um, but there's not the audience there. There's, you know, YouTube is the second biggest search engine yeah. in the world. Um, nobody's going to Vimeo and Googling what is Gers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but a couple of hundred people a month do that on YouTube and mm. we, we need those couple of hundred. Yeah. Um, so there's nowhere we could go. All we've done is so we could do Patreon. YouTube have a Patreon, their own version of Patreon. Mm. We decided not to use YouTube because we realized we were already over reliant on that. Mm. So we stuck with Patreon, even though the fees are actually bigger. Mm. So that if we ever had to move all our content elsewhere, um, we wouldn't be bankrupted by that move. So we're we're not looking for anywhere else to be. And if anyone from YouTube is listening and getting very angry at me, <laughs> we love you, YouTube. Uh, <laughs> and we're going nowhere, but we just have to be prepared, yeah. I guess. And we, we know people that have said, like, they don't listen to podcast content, but mm. they specifically listen or watch you guys mm. because it is that nice five to 10 minute video range that's here's a subject. We're going to give you a load of information in these 10 minutes. And like we've mentioned already there isn't really any kind of competition when it comes to that at the moment it's you know you guys hitting that for that so yeah it's one thing we know a few people that have kind of mm. but like where you when you first came up it was like oh have you heard of the craft beer channel yeah and i was like oh this is really cool this is kind of what we like, we yeah. want to be doing i was gonna say is that uh was that another reason to start the podcast was that it's just another it's another platform and podcasts have kind of peaked i think recently the main reason we launched the podcast was entirely selfish. We were like, we've got a bit of an audience. We know we can get enough listeners um, to make it worthwhile. And we really wanted to be able to vent because everything you do on YouTube is so, because you do need to hit that. I mean, our videos, we used to say no longer than seven minutes. Yeah. Like you have to be so precise and you have to reshoot so many things to get within that seven minute. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've now, uh, we'll now produce anything up to 20 except for our documentary, which is a lot longer. Uh, and we were kind of sick of not being able to say, not being able to muse around anything, not being able to have in-depth discussions. So we wanted to start start the bubble so that we could have those conversations with people. Uh, what we learned really quickly is that podcasting is way more competitive um, and we weren't growing anywhere near in the way that we thought we would. Mm -hmm. So we launched the bubble and the bubble did perfectly well. and it's kind of a passion project for us really we just we get to sit down for an hour have a beer with somebody we love and respect who's not necessarily from the beer industry but we talk about mm. beer um and that's what i love doing mm. um but to counteract that we then launched friday 5 p.m which is me and brad talking fucking nonsense for 20 <laughs> minutes um 
and the the idea was that it would it would give us the breathing space to do all the nonsense that never makes it into the show. Mm. It would give us the opportunity to do this kind of Adam Buxton thing where we respond to comments in a in a funny way. Um, and we also thought that there was a gap, you know, like micro podcasts, which are becoming a bit of a thing now, doing exactly what we're doing on YouTube. So you know what you're going to get. It's only 20 minutes and you can listen to it. The idea was on the train home. Like we know our audience is probably young dads. Like that's who we make our content <laughs> for. And we know that they're probably on a train with a beer in their hand coming home mm. or they're in the car driving home as quickly as they can. So a 20 minute podcast that makes them laugh and reminds them to watch the video was kind of the idea behind that. Yeah. So yeah, we went to podcasting thinking we'll make long form content and then immediately started making short <laughs> content again. Um, I'm going to crack this beer open. It's sat in front of me. Oh yeah, we got uh, are, you, are you drinking anything, Johnny, at the moment? Yeah, I'm drinking. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> a real, um, a real dick waver of a beer. Um, <laughs> so I, um, three years ago, I went on tour de Gers, which is the weekend where all the the blenderies open up their breweries, and Lindemans were letting you blend your own Gers. Ooh. Um, so they had four barrels, four different ages of lambic, and you could you could blend and bottle your own Gers, which I'm a huge, huge lambic fan, and I I was. I basically wet myself when I saw that and it was really expensive and I was just, Oh, where, wherever it costs, I'm doing that. <laughs> um, so I've been sat on it for three years. Um, and I just, I just filmed this week's video, um, mm. before, before we started talking, which I drink it. So we're doing cracking your beer stash is like our concept for me not being able to leave the house. Um, so I just cracked it after three years to try it. And I wasn't even going to, but there was an alert came up in my phone, in my calendar, just said, drink your gears. Oh, amazing. And I was like, what is this? What the hell? <laughs> and I put it in my diary three years ago to crack this beer. And so I got that on like Sunday, which was exactly three years after I blended it. Wow. Um, That's amazing. So yeah, I just, just cracked that and, and talked about it on camera. Um, so I'm still drinking that. And it looks, I mean... We're on Zoom, so you can yeah. see it, but yeah. no one else does. But it looks, looks like a legit Gers. Um, oh, look at it. Love it. I, I was, yeah, about an hour before I came on the call, just the happiest beer geek in the world. <laughs> do you want to just explain what a, a Gers is? Because we kind of do the, yeah, newbies. Like, we're the newbie kind of podcast. So, you know, right. we, haven't te- we haven't technically covered that on our... Mm, well, we, we haven't covered that We haven't yet. done Gers, so, no. Yeah, do you want to give a quick rundown? Yeah, so... Uh, a, a, a Gers is a style of wild sour beer that's um, technically only allowed to be produced in the Pajottenland, which is uh, the Seine Valley just southwest of Belgium. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a beer made where with most beers you'd naturally inoculate, you'd add yeast to your beer to start it fermenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, lambic beers, which Gers is a derivative of, you cool down your beer overnight in a giant swimming pool at the top of a brewery. Um, where it's infected with lots of natural microflora, yeast, bacteria, uh, and then you put it into barrel and you age it for as many years as you want. Um, and a gers is a blend of all those different years of barrel. Right. Um, so technically, it has to be um, uh, bottle conditioned, so it can't be forced carbonated. It has to be bottle conditioned. That's why you never see gers on draft, uh, although you do now a little bit as people break the rules. Um, and yeah, so it's a blend of these sour, funky, really cider-like flavored beers. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, if you put lots of old beer in, you get a really funky, scrumpy cider thing. Or if you have a fresher one, you get sweeter, lemony kind of notes. Um, and, and it's kind of almost how beer used to be made many years ago, where you'd create 
yeah, all of your beer went funky because we couldn't clean our vessels. We didn't know what yeast was. We didn't know what mm-hmm. uh, bacteria did. And we were using wild yeasts rather than, you know, factory made ones. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of a little bit of history in a glass, although the blending element varies all around the world. But that spontaneously inoculated thing was was uh, generic to everyone. Nice. We do get uh, we get Lindman's in a vessel, which is the beer shop I work at. And uh, I was one. <laughs> I had this. When did I have this? Um, uh, in December. Um, wondering if you did you ever try the Sponten Basil one? Pizza beer. So weird. I. <laughs> what it tasted like? I don't like pesto, but I liked <laughs> this beer because it. I don't know why, but it's it literally mm. tasted exactly like pesto. It's really weird. It is spontan pesto, yeah. It's crazy. Um, I wrote uh, an article for Good Beer Hunting about the weird experiments happening in Lambic. So the Lambic world is is like real ale in the UK. It's it's not young dad. It's it's young granddad uh, <laughs> kind of age of people that are drinking it. Um, it's very very conservative. Nobody likes you making changes to it or pissing with tradition. It's in playing with position. <laughs> with their tradition <laughs> I don't know where that came from um and so all these the fact that craft beer came along and started adding all these unusual flavors um like lots of i think younger people who worked in the lambic industry were like why can't we try this and all mm. the old people were like no because because tradition um and a couple of them started doing it uh like the younger blenders started actually playing around beer cell probably the most famous for it um but lindemann's uh so that was uh, it was a, a collab with mckella yeah it was spontan, yeah spontan pesto um and they've done a couple of others since and boone or sorry bone pronounced is, is it bone yeah technically bone but i mean i've called <laughs> frank boone who owns the brewery frank boone to his face and he didn't say anything so <laughs> say it um, how you spell it <laughs> yeah exactly um, so they're now producing Mike- all of McKellar's Lambics uh, and they add, like, he's got Quantan Lingam, Qu- Quanta Lingonberry and all this kind of nonsense where he's adding four times the fruit and it's fruits that Belgians have never heard of. Um, and they're kind of starting to embrace it. Beer cell now make a rose petal one, a green walnut one. Uh, wine grapes have been used by Cantillon and a couple of other people. Yeah, we had that the other day, didn't we? We did, yeah. Yeah. Oh, lucky you. But they are sort of converging those worlds, like natural cider, natural beer, and natural, well, not natural beer, wild beer and natural wines. Mm. There's a lot of flavours. I was in a French restaurant. Um, I took my girlfriend for a nice meal in Paris. Mm. Sure. <laughs> and, as you do. Uh, as you do. And, um, like, we, we we don't know much about wine. Um, so we, like, my girlfriend, when she orders beer, she wants something pale and hoppy. And when we order wine, she wants something red and juicy. So we just said, Something red and juicy, please. And they came back, and this beer was bretted to fuck. Um, and so, I mean, Heather, she loves Orval, so it was okay. She understood oh, it. But um, it, it, was like, it was the first time where I had gone, holy crap, there's, there is so much in common. We forget that right, the, yeah. said, mm. the ingredients are literally the same. Yeah. Um, it was still a weird experience, like a bretted red wine. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I didn't love it. But... Um, I've loved lots of sort of bretty white wines mm-hmm. that are just so close to Lambic that you just like, you know what? In a lineup, I'd possibly not pick that up. Yeah. yeah. Um, if, if, if it had carbonation. So, yeah, it's exciting to see. Hopefully, it's a way that 
the wine world will start to take cider and beer a bit more seriously. Mm. Yeah, I hope so. I know that I kept hearing, well, I've heard it and I don't know if you've heard this as well. I know obviously um, we'll use barrels, like wine barrels, whiskey barrels, but we heard from De Molen that they were going to start reusing barrels that beer had used. So if we're using wine barrels for beer and then it gets taken back to wine or something. Yeah, they were going to yeah. sell their barrels that sell old wine barrels that they'd use to age their yeah, beers yeah. in back to wineries so they could try and age their wine in it and see what the result was. Can't get my head around it. I don't know if you've heard that little rumor. Um, I, yeah, I haven't heard of that, but uh, it doesn't doesn't hugely surprise me because they might be looking for those those native yeasts that love beer mm. to find an easy way to inoculate their wines with with lactopedio and and, and brett um yeah i mean that's uh, you've seen it in whiskey as well so there's whiskey makers that are using beer vats yeah in um uh shit where was i <laughs> it might have been Alle- it must have been allagash uh mm. so portland maine where they were saying that there's a guy who was like a pretty high up brewer at Allagash and he left and he set up a distillery and now they do, they have a special beer, I forget the name of it, where they trade barrels. So the barrels are just going constantly back and forth. Yeah, so they brew good. a beer in it, send to the distillery, the distillery makes you know, rum, gin, tequila in it, yeah. sends it back. And so they have this constant flux of flavors going on. That's um, cool. Very sustainable, I have to say. Exactly that. <laughs> we are drinking, well, we, before this one, we had a local by Steel Brew yeah. called Chairman, no, yeah, Chairman Meow. Chairman Meow. So, and now we're on, um, we are on Boss Bear by Boss Brewing. Because, mm. uh, yeah, we got their pub in a box. Yes. Yeah. It's very nice, actually. I, have, I don't know if I've had it. You've had it, haven't you? I've, yeah, I've done it. It's a few. Munich Hell's Lager. Mm. Yummy. Uh, yeah, back to actual chatting. Which actually makes me think, uh, so obviously I think Boss Brewing's got a lot of, well, some flack over the last kind of year or so for moving from craft into uh, into supermarkets. And I know there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of breweries now doing that. What's your kind of... So I'll caveat what I'm about to say by saying I'm a huge, huge supporter of independent business. Mm-hmm. Um, my political views are extremely left-wing. Mm-hmm. Um bordering on on anarchism <laughs> however i recognize that uh that's never going to happen mm-hmm. um and we have to live in the world that we have been given by the rich people and um i think craft beer good a good range of supermarket craft beer is inevitable mm-hmm. and the real question has to be how we handle that correctly so that independents are not hurt by it um I should therefore say that, uh, so SIVA, the Society of Independent Brewers, um, recently voted in their annual awards, um, a panel of judges voted Tesco the best uh, multiple craft beer retailer in the country, which Mm -hmm. caused huge, (laughs) huge consternation within the craft beer industry. Yeah, I was on that judging panel, so I was part of, that decision and I was part of that um, uh, discussion. Um, in the room, I argued against it, not not as forcefully as maybe I should. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when the winners were um, announced and I saw, oh, well, I'd already had very cold feet about the fact that 
that was happening. Yeah. And then when it was announced, and I was in fact the person announcing it because we were hosting the awards. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, and to see the reaction was was you know confirmation of my worries. Yeah. Um, however, if you look at what Tesco have done, they've actually done some things that were quite impressive. One of which is never selling a a beer that is also available in small shops. Right. So outside of the the core range beers that anyone can sell. Mm-hmm. So they're not taking, you know, these double IPAs from different people. What they ask for from these breweries they're working with, they're asking for a one-off special for Tesco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which means that and this is genuinely what Tesco hope that they're not cannibalizing independent mm-hmm. people. Uh obviously that doesn't work, right? <laughs> um <laughs> You, you you can have different products. That doesn't mean that people won't just buy that instead of yeah. something yeah. from an independent bottle shop. So it's still hugely flawed. Um, and that that was, you know, one of the reasons I was I was uncomfortable with the decision. Um, but stuff was being done. Uh, the main reason they won is the lack of competition. Yeah, there there only there's only I think, and they only had two other entries. Right. One of which wasn't wasn't eligible. So you're like. <laughs> Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I just think that we're going to have good beer in supermarkets. We should have good beer in supermarkets. Who mm. are we to say to these people who live in small villages all around the country that now nah, you're not allowed craft beer because we don't think that these businesses deserve to sell them? Yeah. Um, so it, it's about how it's done. And, you know, I applaud Tesco for that particular initiative, but it's not enough. Mm. Um, it's definitely not enough. And the main issue really is pricing. Uh, the prices they're demanding from these breweries mm means a it's damaging the brewery because they're not getting as much money as they deserve and b it's damaging the independent retailer who can't match that kind of pricing yeah so that's the main issue it's not for me the issue isn't whether there's beer in that supermarket it's the price at which it's being sold um and also selling at that kind of price is 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 just unethical mm. um you're, you're selling what is a drug at yeah. a discount price and i don't think that should ever really be allowed yeah um and that leads to issues with the portman group um who are another very contentious topic um, <laughs> that they are and i could talk about that plenty but we don't <laughs> want to be you know the portman group would work if um a their rules were correct but b if supermarkets were selling beer responsibly there would be no need for the portman group if supermarkets were selling beer responsibly yeah so um i, I do think that whatever good Tesco ever does in trying to support independent reads or well, not support trying to protect them. It's all going to come down to price and they're never, ever going to compromise on that. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that's what we need to be fighting. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's very interesting because look, half the room when I announced it were furious, rightly furious. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other half of the room were entirely silent because they all sell to Tesco. So <laughs> it was a very interesting dynamic. Um, oh, no. How many people? How many people were there? Uh, in the room, there would have been probably three or four hundred people. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, and because I I had to write the script beforehand, so I'd known for a couple of hours. Oh God. Um, how that was going to go down and when. Um, yeah, it was it was horrific, and you know I I would love it if craft beer didn't go into supermarkets. I would love it if we could have an independent retailer in every single town, but sadly, yeah. um, until uh, until the world is turned upside down, which hey, <laughs> here we go, <laughs> nature's having a go. Yeah, um, uh, I don't think that will that will happen. Mm. I guess we'll go on to macro versus micro then. Um, 
So you do content on both, kind of, sort of? You do a bit of both? We, yeah, so, um, again, uh, very left-wing. Um, <laughs> huge dislike and mistrust of, of multinationals. Mm. Um, but we made the decision fairly on in the Craft Beer channel that if we're an educational, fun platform, we don't want to moralise too much. So we came up with uh, a thing that I want to publish and Brad refuses to let me publish. Um, and it's called The Blacklist. Right, okay. Uh, and, and so we have a Google Doc uh, in which we have a list of unethical beer companies and the reasons and uh, well-researched well uh, links to all the evidence against them. Wow. Right, okay. Um, and we, we update that whenever we hear news. Uh, and that's what we use to pick who we can feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will feature uh, beers by Asahi. Mm-hmm. Because as far as we know, at the moment, Asahi have done nothing that we consider unethical. Mm-hmm. However, Heineken or any of its associated brands will never grace our pages. Mm-hmm um because they're a horrific company responsible for hundreds of deaths of Mm -hmm. african sex workers um so they are blanket out along with beaver town along with lagunitas yeah um so we we keep that list private but we make decisions based off it so that we can then if anybody questions it we can come out with the facts immediately and and an explanation we're currently going through lion and whether we can allow lion um after a brewery. So Lion's owned by Kirin. Kirin also owns the Myanmar Brewery. The Myanmar Brewery donated to a to a company that was giving first aid to soldiers, mm-hmm. but then the money ended up going towards the soldiers killing. Yeah. Wow. So we're trying to. <laughs> I trying can see to you getting that. your head around that. Is a bit is yeah. complicated. <laughs> You like briefly touched on it on like your live, and yeah. I was just like, "Huh?" What yeah, we can see about? you on the live. Just go. We need. We need to sort of check this first. <laughs> You're just like, "Oh, I'll touch on it," but that's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, that is crazy. So we've been we've been looking at that one uh, at the moment and still trying to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but the blacklist includes hundreds, well, hundreds, tens of craft breweries. Uh, Melvin, founder accused of sexual harassment. Mm. Founders, dirty fucking racist. Yeah. Um, all these breweries that you know supposedly we can buy from yeah. you're like yeah. i i would rather drink an ab InBev beer than a founders beer mm-hmm. um although also founders aren't independent anyway now um so yeah we we base it all off of that the the issue is we do we have done content with macros before they sold yeah. mm-hmm. so we did a video with um laganitas which we we should i guess we should probably remove really um thinking about it well it's like a little um, uh like piece of history that it's there before yeah that. i mean yeah and it's an interesting one to think about whether it's better that it's there um maybe we should just make a statement in the comments going mm-hmm. you know since oh, this happened and, yeah you know what do you guys think about it um we also have a, another rule which is called the free pass where we we throw morals out the window if a beer is um historically uh important Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we do make content around bourbon county stout 
we do make content around, or we always will make content around Pilsner Ocal. Asahi are actually fine as far as we can tell, but if Asahi was bought by Kirin yeah. and they get embroiled in the Myanmar thing <laughs> and we decide that the Myanmar thing isn't okay, we'd probably still give a free pass to Pilsner Ocal, but yeah. we wouldn't give it to, say, uh, Meantime, which is cruel on Meantime because they were important back in the day, mm. but their beer sucks now. <laughs> I guess that kind of leads me into like um, your collaborations and communications with uh, different brewers and like people in the industry. How do you kind of keep it real and honest? Um, you know, if you don't like a certain beer or their values, how do you kind of keep that relationship? If if you know they kind of they're not on the blacklist per se, um, how do you keep those relationships with them so that you know they don't hate you and go don't want them? It's an interesting one because I I also have I have my my good beer hunting hat, mm. which uh, good beer hunting. Um, lots of people think it's not, but it's fiercely independent. Like it will say what it likes about anyone. Mm. So and it is hypercritical about it and pulls no punches, which means I have to do exactly the same when I write for them. Mm. So quite often I uh, am, am good, you know, making happy, crappy, exciting educational content with Craft Beer Channel. And then a couple of weeks later, the brewery does something wrong and I call them up and they're like, hey, Johnny, how you doing? Yeah. And I'm like, hi, uh, why are you selling this beer in Tesco? Yeah. Um, and that's really hard to manage. Um, and I know that it, it frustrates Brad sometimes because like, he'll go, why don't we do some, some content with these people? And I'm like, I don't think they'll speak to me right now. But, uh, <laughs> oh, no. um, so it is, uh, it's really tough, but I mean, we, we take a very professional approach to it. Uh, I think unlike quite a lot of beer writers, uh, beer influences or whatever you want to call us, um, I don't tend to make friends with people in the industry much. Okay. Mm -hmm. I try to maintain a professional distance wherever I can. Yeah. Um, that's quite different when it comes to beer writers because we're sort of in the same position. Um, and there's a couple of brewers that I would consider genuine friends. Um, but mostly I, I keep that professional distance because um, otherwise you've, you've, you're, you're as compromised as, as you know, um, anyone who's just taking freebies constantly if, you, if you're friends with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's incredibly tough to have to criticize people that you know you think do good work mm. um and and yeah i get caught in endless knots um and and have to sort of um temper my own biases as well because obviously you know there's brewers i've met who've been assholes mm. um and you know sometimes you'd rather use them as an example for something but you've got to go well no i've got to go for the fairest example of this or this mm. um, and th yeah there's not really an answer to that you just have to trust you kind of yeah your instincts and to maintain as much professional distance as you can yeah um but i mean i'm i'm 100 percent compromised you know um I, I do have friends in the industry and and it's probably pretty unlikely you'll find me writing bad stuff about them and i just really hope they won't ever do bad stuff so that doesn't come out. <laughs> I, I was yeah. gonna i was you kind of answered my question already because i was going to ask about how what what is it like when a brewery or people that you know in the industry that you've made friends with they those people then i mean if they're employees it's not necessarily their fault if they if the company sells out but if you're friends with people who do make those decisions and they sell to a company that is part of the black book 
has has that happened to you so far or you you know you, are you glad that hasn't you haven't had to cross that bridge yet i don't think i've really crossed that bridge mm. um i mean certainly through good bit hunting i've chatted to lots of people who have sold yeah. um like rich from magic rock uh who, yeah he's sorry magic rock jasper he founded camden mm. um and he, i mean ab and bev aren't a great company by any stretch of the imagination but you look at jasper's ambition i mean particularly us in london and those who knew jasper and the people around him like we kind of always knew that brewery was going to sell because his ambitions were so far beyond what is probably possible not for a craft brewery that's possible look at sierra nevada yeah. but for a brewery focused on lager mm. the most price sensitive uh, segment of the beer industry yeah without some kind of of, of macro brewery tie-up you're never going to be able to compete or you're not going to be able to within the lifetime of one person, which Jasper wants. Jasper wanted to be the owner of that company. Um, so I, me and Jasper have had very nice chats and, 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 and uh, I've interviewed him a couple of times since. Yeah. Um, I have never had a conversation with Logan since he sold to Heineken. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't consider Logan a friend, but, you know, we both loved what each other did. We, probably saw each other you know, a couple of times a year and had beers and we, we went to events together, shared taxis and, and that kind of stuff. And mm. I've never, I don't really want to have that conversation with him. I don't really want to, cause I'd have to say, and while the, the sellout was, cause the sellout got sort of predicted by Boca Bailey, yeah. which was a stunning bit of, of connecting the dots. And then the rumor came out and nobody knew who it was. It came out of a mergers and acquisitions magazine saying Beavertown had been bought. Nobody knew who the buyer was. So everyone started sort of spitballing about who it might be. And I was literally in my head, just like anyone but Heineken. Oh, yeah. Anyone but Heineken. Um, and because I was also working for Cape Direct, who um, distributed Heineken, because I knew I'd have to I'd have to market that beer. Yeah, yeah. Um while I was still a cave. Um, and yeah, when it came out, it was Heineken. I knew the only question I could ever ask Logan would be, how can you stand the idea that the people who invested in your business, who are paying for your new brewery, who are you know, asking for annual reports from you on how business is doing, are the same people that would turn to a journalist and deny the death of sex workers in Africa? um and you know to some extent i'm glad i've never had to answer that question do you know how people at the brewery uh at the, who work at the brewery feel about that kind of that acquisition do they do they quickly try and find another job somewhere else or are a lot of them still there at the moment no i only know one person still there mm -hmm. personally okay um other than than logan yeah um everybody else within about a year had escaped yeah. and it, it made me feel real, really sick. Like the, the hatred that got directed at Beavertown, mm. which obviously affected the staff there, yeah. many of whom, you know, as soon as that happened, were job hunting, mm -hmm. but nobody in their right mind is just going to walk out the door to no financial security. Yeah. They, they're going to stay for a couple of months till they find a job they can do. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that took some people up to a year. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, this huge demand for production stuff. So the production stuff, I think, found it quite easy. Yeah. But like the people in marketing, social media, um, you know, you have one social media person 
at a brewery the size of Beavertown. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's only two and a half thousand of those jobs in the whole of the UK. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it made me really angry to see the the, the hatred that was levelled at them, and I. I, I I even like gave, connected them with other people trying to get out. Here's a job that you could yeah. do while they were trying to get out. Um, but yeah, I think most people left Beavertown. Camden was a little bit different. I think people knew it was coming. Camden, a bit like um, Brewdog, is a bit of a cult, I think. It's like you fucking love Camden if yeah. you work for it. <laughs> um, and I, I fucking, I still love Camden. Camden is a real weak spot for me. Yeah. AB and Bev are on the blacklist. Mm-hmm. So they never appear, except for Bourbon County Stout, which gets a free pass. They never appear on the channel. Mm. But I drink at the tap room the whole time because I live a five minute walk from there. Mm. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the unfiltered Hellas is just stunning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I like Jasper and I still chat to Jasper, but they'll, I will never, ever be promoting them. They won't go on my social feeds, they won't go on the channel. Um, but they might appear in a good bit hunting article because it's critical. Mm. <laughs> With a good bit hunting, um, how did that relationship come about? Like, how does that work with what you guys are doing with the craft beer channel? I met Michael Kaiser, who who founded um, Good Beer Hunting in twenty fifteen, I mm. think. We both were sent on a trip to Pilsner Raquel, uh, a, a press trip. Mm. Uh, we met him. Um, I'd, I'd never actually heard of Good Beer Hunting at that point, and we just um, we just connected and had fun, stayed in touch a little bit. Mm. Um, and then Matt Curtis, the beer writer, started working for Good Beer Hunting, became the UK editor. Mm. Um, and I pitched the idea of writing for Good Beer Hunting to him, mm-hmm. to, to Matt. And Matt was like, yeah, I love it. I remember Michael Kaiser saying, because he'd met us early in our career. And um, we were we were a silly YouTube channel back then. We weren't doing more serious stuff. In fact, that Pilsner Raquel video we made was a bit of a turning point in, in realizing that longer form content worked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I remember when I, I I pitched Matt, I was like, I'd like to write for you. And Michael Kaiser was in London at the time. Mm. And I chatted to Michael Kaiser. I was like, hey, how would you feel about me doing some writing for you? And he sort of, you could just see, he was like, um... And he clearly never, ever connected me with writing for Good Beer Hunting. Um, <laughs> and at the time, he was helping ZX Ventures, which is the disruption arm of, of AB and Bev, set up their content website called October. Mm-hmm. So he was consulting on that. And he was like, oh, well, yeah. Maybe I could put in a good word for you at October. And I was like, yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, <laughs> and like, because I, I didn't want to write for AB InBev and I knew that their content would be trashy and I wanted to do some some deep dive proper journalism. Yeah. Um, and l- luckily, like, I mean, Matt, I don't know what Matt did, but he must have had a word with Michael and gone like, no, like, he's got a degree in magazine journalism. Yeah. Um, he's written for The Independent. Uh, been featured in national magazines. He was editor of jamierobbs.com. He can, he's, he's a writer before he's a stupid idiot on YouTube. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll always be thankful to Matt. And now, you know, I write a lot for Gibby Hunting and have a, um, uh, a, a big share of like the news, certainly the news side of that. So mm. Matt did me a, a real solid and, and a lot of love for Michael. He's one of those loved or low figures in craft beer because of what Gibby Hunting is, but, is uh, undoubtedly a fantastic thing for the industry mm. to have somebody like that. Yeah, and I love that podcast. Like, they're so much fun to listen to, and they're so well done. Mm. It's like them and Radio Lab are like my two kind of I listen to, and I'm just like, I love, I love this kind of content. 
Yeah, that actually, so, well, that was Michael for a long time, and that then he handed it over to the amazing girl called Ashley Rodriguez, who now produces it, and she's done an incredible job on on making sure that that continues to um, develop, because there's only so many hour-long interviews you can yeah. <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> They're in great positions though. Like when they do the when they do the episodes and they're like, Oh yeah, we went to this festival and all of the different people from around America and I'm just like us in Plymouth, like, oh just they're so lucky with all those resources. <laughs> you were saying you, you've got a scene springing up in Plymouth. Yeah, we do, there, we do. We're yeah, yeah. We're 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 working on the mile. Oh yeah, we're trying to do our own little uh, the Burns. Trying to get a mile. Yeah, we're yeah. trying to do our own mile, we, which we... I ap- apparently keep bringing up on like every episode. Every, every well, here we go. <laughs> I was just like, this is my moment. Yeah, no, we're working on it. We're working yeah, on yeah. it. After all this, we'll is found over. it. Our house. We'd like our house to be one of the stops if possible. I mean, the shop downstairs is still empty, <laughs> so you know, let's get a brewery in there. If you get it founded, we'll come film. Yes. Hey. <laughs> but it's got it's got a basement and everything. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I should. Should probably put in so sam i don't know have you ever been to vessel here in plymouth have you been down here in general i i've sadly never been but um, uh, sam and i occasionally chat online and we've met a couple of times at verdant right fantastic um because he's uh he's, he's put me some questions over so <laughs> i have to i have to ask them the first one being which beer on your travels uh would you most like to see easily available in the uk that isn't his guess being allagash white <laughs> he saw me coming. Um, Stop. I think. I think I'd have to say uh, the standard by Notch. Okay. So that's a, a, a double decocted pilsner from a brewery in Salem, Massachusetts. Mm. It's the best. The best. Pilsner I've ever had outside of the Czech Republic. Um, it's absolutely killer. Yeah. So that or, or Pliny. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, his next was, which country or beer scene do you most want to visit uh, for your channel once this is all over? Mm. Uh, so we were going to do a documentary this year and that documentary was going to be all about um, lager and we were going to visit uh, a place I've never been, which is Bamberg. Cool. And as soon as this as international flights start again, or even if I have to drive, <laughs> Bamberg is is where I want to go see, particularly like like spring summer festival season. Yeah. Mm. All the Keller beers in the gardens. If you ended up having to drive, I think that would make a really cool documentary. Like yeah. the whole aim of it, just getting there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we 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 have definitely looked at that because you you could quite easily drive through belgium mm. uh you might be able to stop off at rot house and yeah. make amazing lager yeah. up near the mountains so it could be a really lovely sort of road trip video mm. um so we we have started thinking flying might not be an option so we might do that where do you want to grow the channel and what kind of content do you want to be go- doing more of so yeah we, we wanted to do more of the travel stuff i'm mm. not sure how ethical that really is at this point even even once those flights are open or you can drive i'm I'm kind of skeptical that that would be uh, an okay thing to do. Yeah. Um, particularly while the UK is so far behind the curve. Um, so that's, that's probably put pay to it a little bit. What I would love to do is go do some filming in the black country. Uh, like the, the, the home of like those, those big residually juicy bitters. Mm. Um, so 
yeah, go, go up to, to Bathams and those kind of guys and, and do something around there. Um, Scotland is something I've been eyeing up for a long time. Going to see what's happened to Brewdog, but more importantly, like Fierce, Bolt City, uh, New Barns, who are going to be opening soon. Uh, go to Fine, those kind of guys. Um, that's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, and then on a completely different tangent, the other thing we're going to start getting into is Homebrew. Cool. Um, okay. So that's massive on YouTube. Yeah. Um, it's done really well by one or two people uh, and really poorly by everybody else. Um, <laughs> Homebrew Challenge, I saw, is one of the... I've, like, he keeps coming up all the time as one of them at the moment. I think he's doing some lockdown-based stuff at the mm. moment. Yeah, I mean, it's the perfect time. And I wish... like we That was our big plan for this year, yeah. to do the documentary in Germany and to... Like, we've even got brand new branding for our, our, our Homebrew videos and stuff. But... <laughs> Um, we we've been scuppered pretty badly by by um, the way we wanted to do it involved visiting brewers. Mm. Um, so we found a workaround. Uh, all the ingredients arrive tomorrow, so I will be filming probably start of next week the first episode of the proper home the homebrew channel. Um, cool. And and we'll we'll see how far we can take that during lockdown. Cool um yeah so that's super exciting i'm also i'm a very hit and miss home brewer so that's <laughs> gonna be fun as well um, yeah i just i just don't think i, I could ever that. do it and you haven't tried yet i haven't it's no. there it's ready for you but... I, want, I want to but as i think i've i've mentioned on a previous episode we did with uh padstow i was like i just i have an aspiration of like the kind of beer yeah. i want to drink and I just know that I will never be able to produce that stuff because it's impossible to, to, to for me at my level to homebrew. So I'll just be constantly yeah. doing it going, this isn't, this isn't right. I just want to have. What the, the main way in which homebrew goes wrong isn't actually the brewing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you've got something like the grandfather, like the capabilities you have are kind of insane. Mm. The issue comes with fermentation, temperature control and bottling and bottling's what I fuck up. Mm. I am not a patient man. I get, fucking infuriated by the bottling process um so our first ever video does not involve bottling yeah. <laughs> uh, and we will avoid bottling as long as we possibly can but that's what all goes wrong because i like to make obviously everyone wants to try and make a new england ipa right that's why yeah. like, i'm gonna homebrew my new england IPA. Yeah. the most sensitive to oxidation that there is <laughs> and everyone's bottling it and wondering why it comes out brown um <laughs> which is what i've done about five times and finally um I'm, I'm, I'm just making a best bitter because it's brown already. Yeah. So. <laughs> Thanks very much for Johnny for coming on to the High Hots podcast. Uh, if I mean, if you if you aren't aware of who he is and all the stuff they're up to, uh, he had this to say about where to find him. Yeah, well, I, I guess I should should plug the podcast in case people don't know. So you can join us for 20 minutes every Friday at 5 p.m. Just search for the bubble on your favorite platform. And yeah, head to youtube.com slash craft beer channel and comment. That's what I love people to do. Like, we get lots of interaction, but lots of in-depth, interesting comments. Talks about what you're drinking and 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 um, where you get it from. Mm. Is what we love to see, so that we can create more of a sort of a forum kind of feel to our videos. So, if anybody's watching but not commenting, please, please do. Mm. Um, and make sure you support independent content mm-hmm. as well as independent shops and breweries as well, yeah. such as High Hops and all the other amazing podcasts in there. <laughs> blogs out there like we're all we've all got a lot of time on our hands and producing a lot of content yeah. so if you've got time on your hands support them where you can 
If you'd like to uh, keep up to date with what we're doing, uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can follow Phoebe on Untapped mm-hmm. and see what she's been drinking. You can email us at hellohighhops at gmail.com for any, recommend- for any recommendations. Next week, we'll be back with a beer about being all together. A beer about being all together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that not what it's about? I guess. There we go. Well. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. That was, that yeah, was thank super you very mu- fun. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. It was very lovely for you to take the time out of your day and uh, I say come and sit with us, but <laughs> Zoom chat with Zoom us. Zoom chat with us. And they've got loads going on, so just go check out yeah. everything they're doing. Hopefully it'll be. A, hopefully next time we can uh, talk to uh, Brad as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll get Brad on. The two Brads, Johnny and a Phoebe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a weird band. Thank you very much for listening to the High Hops podcast. Bye.